Hi, my name is Steve Thomas, lead pastor of the First Baptist Church of Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged as together we open God's word and consider how it applies to our lives. It is a crazy time, isn't it? Uh, and in, in these days, we look to Jesus Christ. Um, it's a different world than it was a week ago, two weeks ago, or a month ago. Um, you may be thinking, what in the world is happening in our world? Everything is shutting down, events are, cast, are canceled, markets are tumbling, lives are disrupted, travels eliminated, and to top it all off, there seems to be a severe shortage of toilet paper. So, I hope you're getting through that. We don't know why that is. We don't know why anybody would need so much, but apparently people are stockpiling it right now. It's unsettling, isn't it? It's at least a little bit scary. How long will it last? What will the long-term effects be? How many will get sick? How many will die? Will I get sick? Will I be quarantined? What will happen to my job? Those are all questions that we have. People are feeling vulnerable, and people are feeling anxious. And if you're a student of the Bible, you may know that 1 Thessalonians 5, 3 kind of refers to this end-of-the-world kind of scenario, and people can kind of get scared. It says, uh, it says, while people are saying there is peace and security then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. There's this sense of, is this the end of the world? And I don't think so, but it does kind of bring that, that idea into our minds that what is God doing in this? Um, the coronavirus has nearly everyone's attention. It's amazing how quickly it's grabbed our attention, isn't it? Um, but you know what? A loving God often disrupts the lives of those who are moving resolutely away from him. Isn't that amazing? God will disrupt lives so that we can turn towards him. He loves us so much that he doesn't let us just keep walking away from him, but he brings things into our lives that cause us to turn towards him, and that is the opportunity uh, today. We're going to be looking at the story of Naaman, a Syrian general, from 2 Kings chapter 5. The Bible is so full of these amazing stories that really resonate with us today. And Naaman had to deal with a disease. This is in the time of the divided kingdom in Israel. Uh, it's a time when um, there was chaos a lot and they were constantly at war. And the kings that would rule God's people, they often didn't do a very good job. As a matter of fact, they led the people into idolatry, into terrible things. But it's important to note that God always, always had his man, his prophet, his spokesman. And in this context, Elisha is that man. He had just taken over for Elijah, and he has become really... Uh, God's man to speak on behalf of God in a very troubled time. So look with me, if you will, at 2 Kings chapter 5, and we'll see how this general deals with this severe disease. 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning 
in verse 1. 2 Kings chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. I'll be reading from the uh, English Standard Version. The Bible says this, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, and he was but, excuse me, but he was a leper. Here's Naaman, this very powerful man. In fact, God had his hand of providence on Naaman, even though he was not a follower of God. You got to kind of take that in for a minute because we always think that, um, that God only uses his people, but he uses other people as well to accomplish what he wants to purpose, what he wants to, to do. And he has his hand on Naaman. He's a very, very powerful man, but God has given Syria victory through Naaman. In other words, God has made him great. Isn't that true of leaders today? God causes them to rise, and he causes them to fall. But there was a problem for Naaman. Naaman had a disease, a terrible disease. In those days, it was known as leprosy. And it was probably a, a group of diseases that infected the skin. It caused it to, uh, to atrophy and even to die. People with leprosy were, were isolated. Talk about a 14-day quarantine. It was, it was usually a lifetime quarantine. And for Naaman to be a leader and to be a leader of troops and have leprosy would have led to probably ultimately his death, but certainly the end of his career. So here we have great things happening for Naaman, but he has this disease. In the midst of his greatness, his body begins to fail. Verse 2. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. It's important to note that Samaria was the part of the northern kingdom of Israel. And here's what had happened. While Syria was raiding, and they were kind of the dominant force in the region at that time, they would raid Israel, they would raid into Samaria. They have captured a little girl. They have captured a little girl and made her their slave. And she is serving the wife of Naaman. And it's unbelievable to me that this little girl could have influence. But apparently, she was good at what she did. And she was a blessing to the house of Naaman and to the wife of Naaman. And in the midst of this whole thing, she actually begins to try to help. Um, you know, when we're suffering, when we're uh, taken away, we're not where we want to be, often we forget what our purpose is. But here's a little girl. Maybe at this point you would have to think that maybe 10, 11, 12, a very young girl. But she, even though she's not where she wants to be, she's not with the people she's used to being with, she wants to be a blessing. She doesn't sit there and go, well, you know, God hasn't taken care of me, and until he rescues me from this situation, I don't have any use. No, she doesn't do that. She says to the wife of Naaman, if he could just get to the prophet of Samaria, if, if he could just get to the prophet of God, he could be healed. 
oh, I love that other-centeredness of her. You know, during these days, you may find yourself quarantined. You may find yourself with the illness. Will we keep caring for others? Will we keep saying to others, there is a hope. There is a hope through the God of Israel. Or will we shut down and just say, you know, I've just got to worry about myself. I've just got to be concerned about what my, about my situation. Or will we care for people who are far from God, like Naaman's uh, family? It's so important that um, we do what God called us to do. It's so important that we understand what these days are for. You see, God prepositions his people to be where he wants them to be before the situation arises. And he has supernaturally placed this little girl in the house of Naaman to be a blessing when it mattered most. Where has God positioned you to be today? Where maybe someplace you didn't even expect to be, maybe someplace you didn't want to be. But are there people who need to know there is healing from the God of Israel? It's amazing this little girl stepped up and said, there's a place for healing. So she speaks this to uh, Naaman's wife, and then in verse 4, the story continues. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. So here's what they do. They say, listen, let's get a lot of money. Let's get some really good Armani suits. And let's bring them to the king of Israel. And let's let's ask him to heal you. And this is a strong move. Um, It's a bold move. And they, they really don't even understand where they should go, but they think if they can just go to the king of Israel, surely he has some kind of amazing power to heal Naaman. You know, people often do this, don't they? There's a need for God, but people don't really know how to approach him. And a lot of times people think, well, if I just give God some money, if I give the church money, or if I, if, I, if I just think of something I can do to please God, that he will heal me. And we, we get into some kind of an economic trade with God. Um, it's, it's, not, it's motivated well, but it really doesn't meet the standard of what God is looking for. But at least he's there. He's searching. He's trying to find what it is that God wants him to do, and how can he be healed of this terrible disease. Watch what the king does. Verse 7. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. Get this, he's tearing his clothes. This is what they would do when they were really super emotional. And it's like, there's no way. I, don't, I can't cure this guy. And this, this country of Syria has been our enemy. Surely what they're trying to do is to raise up some kind of quarrel with me. And if I don't heal this man, they're going to attack me. This is horrible. Here's what's happening. The king is saying, 
I can't connect him to God. I don't know how to heal this person. And this may happen to you during these days. You may have someone come to you and ask you a spiritual question. And you may be thinking, I don't know what to tell them. What do I tell people who are suffering? Here's what you need to understand. When people are struggling and they're suffering and they're wondering, what is God doing through this? You just need to point them to Jesus Christ. You just need to point them to the ultimate healing available in Jesus Christ. But honestly, if you don't know and you feel like, I just I need help, please call. We'd love to help. Because the king has no idea and he's going to turn him away. But then God's man steps in and provides the rescue for the king and for Naaman as well. If you look at verse 8, but when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent, the, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. You see, that's the purpose of this whole thing. God moves Naaman to Israel in order to know about God. And God's man, Elisha, is not saying, hey, I want him to know how great I am. He's saying, no, I want Naaman to know how great God is. And that's our purpose every day, and especially in these days. We want people to know how great God is. Verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. Watch what Naaman does. Naaman doesn't even show up personally. He just sends a messenger. He doesn't even make himself the center of the powerful thing that's about to happen. He just sends someone to see Naaman. It's really interesting. Elisha's not trying to make a big show of this. He's trying to simply give him something to do to allow Naaman to experience healing. He doesn't show up. And then what does he tell him to do? I love this. He says, go and wash in the Jordan seven times. Now, the Jordan is not the cleanest river. It's not the clearest river. In fact, today, if you go there, it's kind of nasty, really. Um, there's some big rats in it in certain places. Um, and you just kind of, it's, it's not like you're going to go wash uh, in a beautiful swimming pool. It's not clean in a lot of ways. Um, it would be a very humbling thing, humiliating, for a powerful general to wash in the Jordan River. And it's also the river that was known and associated with the land of Israel. And it would have been considered an Israeli river. And so for him to dip himself and to think, I've got to wash myself in this river, would have been a lot. And it would have been very, very humiliating. And so Naaman's response is predictable. In verse 11, um, Naaman was angry, and he went away saying, Behold, I thought that surely... I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana 
and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be, be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. You know, it's important to see that coming to God always requires humility. Always. Naaman is thinking, you know, I, I want to see some great thing happen. I, I want to, I'll be standing there and the man of God will come out and he'll call on the name of the Lord and maybe some kind of thing will happen in the heavens and I'll be cured. It'll be a great display. But I really don't have to do anything other than ask for this to happen. I really don't have to change. I really don't have to humble myself. You know, the great Henry Blackaby said in Experiencing God, he said, you cannot stay where you are and go with God. You cannot continue to be who you've always been and follow Jesus. And so Naaman is confronted with this reality. I want to be cured, but this is ridiculous. This is silly. Why would I go and dip in a river? Why would he have me do that? Basically, he's trying to humiliate me, and I don't think it's really going to happen. He obviously wants to be healed, but he doesn't really believe that this humiliating act is going to make any difference. You know, our first response to God is often wrong. You've got to examine that, because often when God speaks, when God says, this is what you need to do, when God demands repentance, for example, we think, that's not really going to matter. Humiliation is not really going to matter. I, I can just keep doing what I'm doing. I just need to make some small adjustments. No. No. You see, what God requires seems unreasonable. And it may seem impossible. But it's really just a question of humility and a question of obedience. Thankfully, Naaman has some wise people working with him. He has some servants, some people who come alongside of him in the midst of his rage, and they speak to him, and they say, hey, listen, man, you might want to reconsider this. And look what, he said, what they say in verse 13. But his servants came near and said to him, my father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? And here's what they're saying to him. Listen, you would do some great thing if he told you you had to run a marathon, if he told you you had to go conquer a nation, if he told you you had to go uh, build a business, you would have done it. If he told you you had to build an orphanage, you would have done it. Build a hospital, give to the, you would have done all these things. But this one humiliating thing you will not do. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is the thing that God calls us to do because it causes us to turn from our pride and say, God, I, you are God. I, I need to change my thinking. I've had people tell me before that, you know, I, I, would, I would follow Jesus except it would really just totally invalidate my whole life. And everything that I've been saying my whole life, I have to change and I have to, I have to tell people that I've been wrong my whole life. How can I possibly do that? That's exactly what God 
demands. See, if we were good enough to get to God on our own, Jesus would have never needed to come. And we're in a crisis like we're in right now. It reminds us of our weakness, of our vulnerability, and the fact that we are not good enough. And ultimately, none of us make it out alive. Where is our hope? Where is our joy? Where is the one that we're counting on? So Naaman listens. Verse 14 and 15 say this. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored, like the, fre- like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And then verse 15, and he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, behold, I know there is no God in all the earth but Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. Oh, I love this. He goes and he humiliates himself. He does exactly what the man of God wanted him to do. And he's healed. And he comes back saying, let me give you a gift. Let me give you all this stuff I brought. And and you can read the rest of the story. It's several verses long, but basically the man of God said, there's no need for that. I'm not in this for the money. I don't need your gift. And, and the, uh, Naaman goes ahead and he says, listen, here's, I want you, here's what I'd like to do then. And it's, it's, a great, it's a great scene. He says, I'd like to take two donkey loads full of dirt from this place. And I want to take it home because I want to build an altar so that I can worship the God of Israel. That was kind of a, of a custom back in those days. They would, they would take dirt from somewhere, and that would give you the, like you had the ground of that place, and you could worship this God. And, and he repents of worshiping the God he's been worshiping, Rimnon, for all these days. It's an amazing story. But think about this. If Naaman never had leprosy, he would never know the God of Israel. He would have never been brought to the place of desperation where he would reach out to the God of Israel, and he would have never responded in repentance and said, I've got to go do something that says that God is God and I'm not. I'm going to have to do that in front of all of these men that I've led, all these people who think that, that I'm so powerful, and I'm going to have to admit that I'm not powerful, that God is powerful. You know, in these days, it kind of feels like a disaster movie, doesn't it? You know, the part of the disaster movie where everybody's thinking, oh, there's a crisis coming. And some people are thinking, well, it's not a big deal. Other people think it is a big deal. And it, and it grows and it grows till most people really think it's a big deal. And what happens in every disaster movie? There's always this crazy guy that most people think have no chance of defeating this terrible enemy, right? There's always some guy that think, well, he's got this idea, and he thinks, well, maybe if we did this, and they try everything until they get to the point where they've got to depend on this one kind of nutcase, and they say, you know what, let's give it a try. We, and they wind up putting all their eggs in that basket, and what happens? The, the nutcase winds up saving the world. You know what, there's a much better hero than that. As we're in this crisis today, and we're wondering, we don't really know what's going to happen. Is the virus going to stop? Is it going to keep going? Will, 
Will thousands upon thousands be sick and die? Will markets continue to tumble? What will happen? Nobody knows for sure. It's a time to consider this hero, Jesus Christ, because he is the one who provides ultimate healing. You see, spiritual healing is what Jesus provides. He he is the one who paid the price for our sin, who can heal our relationship with God and give us confidence for the future. Because right now, not a lot of people have confidence for the future. But Jesus Christ provides it. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6 is so beautiful as it predicts Jesus. And it says this, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He is the one who has paid the price for our iniquity. In John 3, Jesus describing himself, says this, John 3, 14. He says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then in verse 32, he says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself, John 12, 32. Here's what he's saying. When people see me for who I am, I will draw people to myself, and I will heal them. You may be wondering, well, then how do I get in on that? What's the process of that? Well, our process is the same process as Naaman's process. It's realizing I need a Savior. Now, many of you watching, no doubt, would say, you know what, I'm a follower of Jesus, or I wouldn't be watching this. Well, what has the crisis revealed in you about your faith? What has the crisis revealed in you about your faith? It should be a sense of, well, I'm trusting you, Jesus, no matter what. There should be a confidence in him during these times. But often people find that, you know what, there's some things in my life that are just not lined up with Jesus. There's some things in my life that are just not right. And you're anxious and you're concerned, and you're scared, and you're just not confident before him. You know, last week we looked at Mark 7, 20 through 23, and we we looked at how Jesus says, these are the things that make you defiled. These are the things that make you guilty. Let me ask you, are you guilty before the Lord? Jesus goes through all the sins that that come from the inside. He, He says it's not about what's happened on the outside. It's what's happening on the inside because that's what this virus is revealing. Where am I on the inside? And Jesus outlines, he says, for from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts. And that's how we generate all this sin. That's how we get far from God. And sexual immorality, we talked about that. That's really any kind of sex that's outside of marriage between one man and one woman. Theft. Murder or anger, that rage that we have, adultery, again, sex outside of marriage, um, coveting, wanting what, what we don't have, wickedness, that's just this malice and that we want to defeat other people, deceit, untruthfulness, hiding things, sensuality, that's a filthy mind, envy, really being angry at other people for having stuff, slander, saying stuff that's not true about others, 
pride. This is the sense I don't really need God and foolishness. He says all these things come from within and they defile a person. Let me ask you, does Jesus have your attention? Does he have your attention? Would you respond to him and turn from the things that make you guilty before him? The things that he died to pay for. This morning in your home, your office, wherever you are, wherever you're watching today, would you respond to this Jesus and know his spiritual healing? It's going to take humility and it's going to take trust. To say, Jesus, I believe that you can heal me spiritually. I believe that you can pay the price and have paid the price for me that I can enjoy eternity with you no matter what happens in these days on earth. And then finally, can you help make him known? There are so many people around you who don't know what to think. And I need to tell you, it may get worse before it gets better. It may get a lot worse. This is your opportunity to represent the God of Israel, to represent Jesus Christ to live in the reality of his peace. Will you do that today? Will you say to Jesus, I trust you, Jesus. I repent of the sins, the things that make me guilty, and I'm going to have confidence in you in these days because you are the one true God. Will you do that? I'm going to pray in just a moment. But I want to encourage you in these days, you're going to be hearing from us on a regular basis. We're going to be posting things, so watch your social media, uh, our uh, First Baptist Delray Instagram account, Facebook account. You can watch your email. We're going to continue to communicate with you. Uh, we will not be meeting this Wednesday night, and we will communicate as we go forward as to when we will meet again. But we will continue to communicate with you in this way. We will be in the office. Feel free to give us a call. Um, know that we love you. And we're praying for you. And we're so grateful for you as a church. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we praise you that things aren't out of control. But rather, these things like this crisis of this virus is just proving that you are the one true God. And the things that we trust in, the things like markets and jobs and finances and those kinds, Lord, are all can all be gone in an instant. For this world is not our home, but you, Jesus, are building us a home. We praise you, Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If this message spoke to you, consider sharing it with a friend or on social media. Just tag us at First Baptist Del Rey. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to fbcdelray.com. Hope to see you again next time. God bless.